Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Cindy Banyer for Dr. Cindy Speaks and the Daily Diatribe. And this podcast is being recorded at 9.32 p.m. on Wednesday, December 21st at 2022. And there was a lot going on today, honestly. Lots of stuff going. We knew that the the House Ways and Means Committee was going to be releasing the Trump tax returns, and we started to see the reports on that, and those tax returns were released. And what we learned is uh, a handful of things, a lot, a handful of things that we already knew about Trump as well, and that includes that he is a giant liar. One of the things that he said about not releasing his tax returns was that he was under audit and that means meant that he couldn't release those tax returns okay so this turns out to be complete hogwash even though it's required for presidents to be audited he was not audited by the irs which is part of the cabinet which is part of his administration that he was in charge of until 2019 basically until the congressional committee asked for him his tax returns. That is when the IRS started what was supposed to be a required audit of the presidential tax return. So there's many questions that are being asked about what role did Trump play in controlling the IRS and basically delaying, forestalling almost completely without the intervention of Congress, the required audit of his tax returns. Okay. So that's one of the things that we learned. And I think that aside from the numbers, which we'll get into in just a moment, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from the release of the tax returns is that this was clearly another effort by Donald Trump and his cronies to hide the truth about him, essentially. And the truth is that, like many people had already known, he is a absolutely terrible business person. Like he's losing millions and millions of dollars a year, oddly enough, until he had become president. And until two years in his presidency, there wasn't when he was making money. So this also raises another question as to what was happening and what was he doing when he he was supposed to put all of his businesses and blind trusts and, and blah, blah, blah. And he basically just let his idiot children run them and but clearly the influence of him as a brand made an an impact because he was still making millions and millions of dollars while in the white house so makes also this paltry like he donated his salary or whatever seem like even a bigger joke now than it was at that point in time so we see that the tax returns were come out so he was losing a ton of money which we knew we we knew he was a shoddy business person. Anybody who's known Trump or heard about Trump since he became a thing in the 90s when he was the tabloid king with with Anna Trump and all the Marla Maples and all that jazz 
he's just been a shoddy business person since then. He was losing businesses on casinos and had several ridiculous endeavors, Trump stakes, putting his name basically on anything. And most of the buildings actually that you've ever seen that say Trump on them, he really just licensed his name in brand to the companies that want to do it. He didn't actually run a lot of those because he's ridiculously incompetent in business. And this was something that everybody knew if you'd ever heard of Trump before, but apparently all of his acolytes just lockstep in with him. They believe the cult of personality around him. However, the, uh, so just let me give you a couple of figures here because it's pretty astonishing. So 2015, Trump lost 31, almost 32 million. 2016, 32 million lost. 2017, 12 million loss. Turns a profit, actually makes money in 2018, 24 million, 4 million in 2019, and then 4 million in the hole in 2020. He paid $0 in federal taxes in 2020. This is apparently also from the tax cuts that he pushed through, that he pushed through the Republican Congress to it earlier in when the Republicans controlled the Congress in 20, prior to 2018. So this was a he pushed this through in the beginning of his presidency, and then now in 2020, he's finally seeing the fruition of these tax cuts that he was able to take advantage of. So he paid 133000 in 2019. That's on a $4 million gain. Almost a million dollars in 2018. That was on a $24 million gain. Seven fifty, respectively, in 2016 and 2017 on the years that he had $32 million and $12 million loss, and 641000 paid and the year that he had a $31 million loss. So basically, he's paying a very paltry sum compared to the, the even the amounts of money that he was making, right, in 2018 and 2019. And then ridiculously low compared to the amounts of money that he was clearly playing with. So it's really calling into question too, and this is what a lot of people who had been analyzing his his tax returns were saying is that one of the reasons it was difficult to get through the Trump tax returns is because he's got 500 pass-through companies and he's just they're using every trick in the book to to squirrel down the tax that he's supposed to pay to the American government. This is basically what I think everybody thought it was going to look like frankly knowing generally how his businesses were doing and generally the business person he is. Oh, not to mention the criminal fraud and tax evasion and things like that, that he has already, his organizations have already been found guilty of in New York state. We already knew that he had had these types of dealings and it's probably, this is probably, there's more, right? So this is just what he was able to put down on paper, right? So I'm sure he's taken all sorts of stuff all over the place. So yeah, so tax experts and people that are looking at are saying this is really hard to get through and hard to audit or look at anything because it's so complex because the, the lawyers, the, the accountants are using so many tricks. I think it's another, yet another testament as to why we need reform at the IRS, frankly, and we need a much more simplified tax code. We need not a regressive tax code, which is exactly what this is an example of, but we actually need a progressive tax code. And that doesn't, that's not a shout out to my progressive homies or whatever, but like this is means that the more money you make, right, the more money you pay into the system. Because right now, and frankly, oddly, this is something that not a lot of people know about really, is that when you get into these upper echelon, these really high dollar people, right, so you're making millions, billions of dollars, right, they're paying less and less. Now, the money that they make or that they pay in sounds like a lot, right? So if you just 
roughly, let's say, made $24 million in one year. He, the reg, most of us folks, when we're paying our income taxes, we're paying 20%, something along those lines, upwards, depending on where you are on the scale, right? And some of us can whittle it down, right? But you paying a million <laughs> on 24 million is, is a, a small amount. I'm going to do the numbers here real quick. Okay. Yeah. So even if it, this was at a 20% tax rate on that $24 million year that Trump had, we should be getting $5 million in taxes. And that's just a, if it was 20%, which it's actually a lot higher for a lot of different people. So yeah, so definitely has not been paying his fair share into the government, has definitely been milking the government and taking more out of the system than he's been putting back into it. And that is on top of, you know, all of his brands and companies that we've had to deal with over the years. So that's the Trump tax returns. The story here is, is that he is the fraud and the liar that we said he was and that he's been bilking the system for years and years. And this only looks back at the five years. 2015 to 2020. So you can expect that this has been a lifelong thing for Donald Trump. Okay, so that's enough on that because it's, it's frankly depressing on how much people like Donald Trump came up the system. Let's talk about something that's a little bit more uplifting. And today we saw the president of the Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, come and meet with President Biden. President Biden had expressed solidarity with President Zelensky and unity in the fight against tyranny around the world in support of democracies and freedom. It's the first time that Vladimir Zelensky has left the country since the beginning of the incursion from Russia. And on top of the meeting with Biden, then he had an evening presentation. It's one of the reasons why I'm actually coming to you later here this evening, because I want to listen to his speech. But the speech he gave to Congress was basically saying, look, Ukraine is doing the best that it can. It can. They're really kicking ass out there and that they're really grateful for the U.S. support, but they really need more and that whatever support the U.S. can give that they will use. And it was a speech about unity. And this came on the backs of a request from the White House and congressional Democrats put forth for $44.9 billion in aid to Ukraine and to NATO. So this has been an interesting thing because a lot of Republicans, who, by the way, are usually pretty hawkish and throughout the Cold War were extremely hawkish against Russia, have suddenly decided that Russia's A-OK. And who knows what's leading to this? I know that my friend Rebecca Jones would probably be saying this has a lot to do with some of the, the disinformation that has been coming out of Russia that has helped to reha rehab their brand and get some people on their side. There's been years long operation to to get this out there. But yeah, that a lot of Republicans are balking on giving additional aid to Ukraine. And this is can really hinder their efforts to keep repelling Russia like they have. They've done a, a very good job at this. And it's it's a really important investment. And as I always say, because I already saw the Republicans fear mongering about the costs, is that we are as a economic sovereign, a monetary sovereign, we can afford what we need and we can invest in what matters to us and our budget reflects our values. So basically making an investment in supporting Ukraine and holding back Russia, supporting a fellow democracy is a good thing overall for the United States. It shows our strength. And it will help us to keep Russia from rising so we don't get into further with them because they have 
been fighting us on many different fronts for decades and decades now, and that this is a good investment ultimately for the United States and hopefully the security of the world as Russia keeps saber rattling around nuclear war. So this is a good investment. Additionally, the dollars to NATO. I'm going to talk about NATO. That's a North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that, again, something that is, that is a relic of the Cold War. It's These are our allies, by the way, just so everybody is clear. NATO are the countries that have signed a defense and security pact with the United States, right, that we are going to provide them with additional security. It is our line of defense against Russia. It has been. This is what it does. So the fact that Donald Trump and all of his cronies in all the time that he was in office were deriding NATO and talking about how the countries weren't paying their fair share, et cetera, and so forth. The thing was, is like, it was always set up as the thing that the United States was doing to prevent the expansion of Russia. That has always been what the point is. And to make sure that we have allies right on the doorstep to keep them from trying to expand and then trying to set off nuclear bombs, right? So that there's a quick and swift response to there. This has been the security strategy for decades and decades in the United States. And it's been really effective. And it's a, again, it's a cost-effective thing for the United States to do, because here's the thing, keeping Russia in Europe is ultimately good for the United States. And that is why we had NATO. That was the whole strategic point of it. Okay. Trust me, I have an undergraduate and a master's degree in international relations. This is like the whole point of NATO. Okay. And these are our allies. And so it is in our interest to fund NATO, to make sure that our neighbors in our European allies are with us and that we continue to show that we are going to stand in the face of Russian aggression. Cause that is what the point is. That is why countries like Finland, Norway have decided that they are interested in NATO because they see the possibility of what's happening in Ukraine happen to them. So this is a good investment, no matter what you hear from the Republicans and the conservatives who are talking about the costs. Of course, they always harp on about costs when it's something they don't want, when it's building fighter jets that will never see the light of day, they don't care. But when we need to not worry about that because we can afford what we need, we can make that investment and it's a good investment. And it's good for the security of the United States overall and good for humanity because hopefully we can avert a world war and an escalation to nuclear war. So it's crazy to be in 2022 and talking about that, but that's where we are. Another thing I just want to touch on briefly here, I know I'm going a bit long today, but is the Supreme Court case that's coming up looking at Title 42. Title 42 is the COVID era policy that allowed quick deportations at the southern border. This is something that the courts have ordered the Biden administration to roll back. The Biden administration have, has kept this order in um, for many reasons, because of public health, but also because of management at the border, because of people are trying to cross the border. And by the way, this is applying to people who not are, they're not the elite, illegal, quote unquote, illegal folks that are whatever, coming over the river or anything like that. It's people who are coming to the border and they are presenting themselves and then saying they're asking for asylum and they're from countries that are otherwise qualified for asylum for various reasons. Okay. And this is being painted as a major immigration crisis and a, something that's going to destabilize the economy or whatever is what the Republicans are saying. I will say that this is a big problem at the border. It's a problem for cities like El Paso and then their sister city across the border and Juarez because people are coming and they're waiting there and they're it's they're homeless they're sleeping on the streets they're taking up space and shelters and it's 
it's a humanitarian crisis. Okay. That is absolutely hundred percent what it is. It is not something that uh, I feel is appropriate to be fear mongered like the way the Republicans are doing it. These are people who are in desperate situations who are coming to the United States for asylum. We, the Biden administration has made some changes since the Trump administration and allowing children and things like that to get processed, but they've still been deporting a lot of people immediately because they simply do not have capacity to process it. And this has been a, a political football, frankly, because the Republicans, it's a double-edged sword no matter what you do for Biden. But anyway, the Supreme Court is going to look at Title 42 and its constitutionality and whether or not it should be kept or whether or not the Biden administration has to follow through with the undercourt rulings saying that they need to repeal it and make a plan for it. Again, this is a total catch-22 for the Biden administration because he's already being blamed for this upswing in the the border crossings, and this is has something that could potentially increase that. So it's really bad. But he's also getting hammered from the left because this is a this is a Trump policy that was put in place specifically to be very harsh to people at the border. It did have the public health connotations, but those public health concerns largely shifted in terms of their severity and how we can deal with the COVID nineteen outbreak. That is coming up. It's, it is a big old mess, and I think that we, let me not say think, I know that we need a human-focused policy on it. I know that we should be better at how we deal with folks who are coming and seeking asylum in this country, and I really wish it wasn't such a hot-button issue, and what I tell my students when I teach them about this is that no one in the world does immigration well and no one handles refugees well it is always a stress on the host country and it's you know xenophobia racism whatever you whatever is going to drive people to not want those folks in their community is what happens and that's exactly what we're seeing in the united states i'm hoping for some clarity on this as the world continues because we are going to see more migrants we are going to see more climate refugees moving forward and that's just what's on the horizon for us. So I'm really desperately hoping for some sensibility to come to our leaders around what really needs to be done and how we can handle the border with compassion the way that I believe Americans should. Thank you for joining me here today. I've been Dr. Cindy Bannier, the host of Dr. Cindy Speaks, and this has been The Daily Diatribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. 